It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you we push back our enemies. Through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory. But you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast in God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbours, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me, because the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back, our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a hunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust. Our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. Thanks, Jane. Oh, that's loud. Um, my name's Stephen Demetrio. I'm the youth minister at Wish Harrington Church, and it is great to see you all here. We're carrying our series um, in book two of the Psalms, so Psalm 42 onwards, um, and we're looking at Psalm 44 this evening. So let me pray, and then we'll crack on into it. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you that it's alive and powerful. Um, as we spend time looking at it this evening, would you encourage us, would you comfort us, and would you teach us? Amen. Amen. Um, do you remember that time uh, when you wrote your first ever song? You, you know, you're probably quite young, and, and you're there like planning the lyrics and the tune, thinking, this is gold dust. Like, like, this is it. I've got it sorted. World number one. Big stuff coming up. But for me, I was 10 years old. Um, oh, it was amazing. I used to go around like singing it to myself, like, yeah, eyes closed. Wow. Oh, this is awesome. Um, I, I, unfortunately, I don't remember the tune of it or the word. I'm sorry. But I remember the title. Uh, this title took me hours to come up with. Okay. Roller coaster. Like, and it was all about how life was up and down like a roller coaster. Um, yeah, shameless stealing from Ronan Keating, I know, but, 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 but like, that, that, that was it, my, my song. Because even 10-year-old Stephen, right, even he knew that life gets rough and difficult at times. That it's got peaks and it's got troughs. 
And what did 10-year-old Stephen do when life was hard? But he wrote a song about it, a power ballad. Um, and, and what does our psalmist do when, when life is hard and life is rough? Well, he writes a song. Um, he writes a poem. That's Psalm 44. Because it has one big basic cry. God, life is hard. Help us. God, life is hard. Help us. And actually, that may be a cry that's on lots of our lips here this evening. Uh, we're struggling. We're finding life bleak and gloomy and it's hard to see past the darkness to the, to the, to the glimmers of hope and light. See, our psalm's going to give us a framework to help us when life is hard and difficult. Uh, it doesn't have all the answers for us, it doesn't have all the solutions, but it does going to have a, a few little things to help us cope and to help us keep plodding forward. So let's have a little look, because our first one is this. When life is hard, um, cry together. Have a look at verse 1. Verse 1. We have heard it with our ears, O oh God. Our ancestors have told us. And as we go through the psalm, we see we, we see us, we see our, over and over again. Even verse 26, the last verse, rise up and help who? Help us, rescue us. We don't know when this psalm was written, like the historical stuff around it, but we do know this, that it was written for the whole of God's people to sing together. This is a communal song of lament, a communal Mourning and weeping. And isn't that so different from our attitude sometimes? Uh, like we see suffering as weakness and so we bottle it up and hide our pain and our hurt away. Uh, and we pretend everything's okay with big smiles and happiness, but when we're inside we're, we're struggling. See, the psalm teaches us a better way. When life is hard, cry together. Like there's raw openness and brokenness here from the people who are crying and lamenting and suffering together. And that's a good thing. It helps us know we're not alone. It helps us know that there's someone else who can listen and care for us. So if life is hard, when life is hard, do like find those kind of people who can sit with you, who can cry with you, who can listen to you. When life is hard, cry together. That's our first thing. So the second thing it says, when life is hard, um, look back. Because our psalm starts, verses 1 to 3, um, and it's all about the glory days. Oh, like the glory days. Um, um, and uh, Now, I'm a bit of a nostalgic kind of person, so I get this. Like, I love looking back and going, oh, wow, wasn't life just so good? Secondary school, rugby, loved those days. Primary school, that was the joy. St. Mary's, oh, even the badge brings up memories. I mean, just imagine it. Primary school was so easy. Like, life was about two things, food and football. Oh, and, and, right, you could wear green trousers and it's all okay. Happy days. Now no, it's not so much. But, but, but like, I, I look back on those times thinking, oh, life was good in those days. Anyone else like me a bit nostalgic? I see some hands. There we go. Lovely. Yeah, you'll get this. And the psalmist here, he's nostalgic too. And verses 1 to 3. Have a look at verse 1. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Uh, our ancestors have told us what you did in their days long ago. Uh, with your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. Oh, the glory days. You see, the people are looking back. And they're looking back to the time of Joshua. When, when, when God takes his people and plants them in the promised land. And he's like, oh, those were good times. 
Because did you see um, how God treated his people? Have a look at verse 2. He, he planted our ancestors. Oh, lovely. Uh, verse 2, he made them flourish. Wow. Verse 3, the light of your face shone upon them. Uh, verse 3, for you loved them with such care and affection. And he's looking back with such fondness and joy. And how starkly contrasted that to God's enemies. Did you see that? Have a look at how they're treated in verses 1 to 8. They're defeated. They're retreating. They're ashamed. They're crushed. They're trampled to the ground. They're in darkness and rejected. The psalm, the people are looking back to the good old days and God was with his people and against his enemies. And did you see, right, because verses 1 to 3 is in the past, verses 4 to 8, that's kind of in the present. So he's looking back and going, oh, those good old days, and that inspires confidence and hope in in the present. Did you see that? Because look at verse 4, look what he says in the present. He says, you are my God and my king, who decrees victories to Jacob. Like, like, he has confidence in the present because of what God's done in the past. And it all rises to a crescendo in verse 8. In God we make our our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. Such confidence in God based on what he's done in the past. Because as the psalmist and the people are looking back, can you see what they notice in verse 2? Verse 2, they notice that it was, with your hand, you drove out the nations. You crushed the peoples. Verse 3, it was not by their sword they won the land, uh, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm. As the people look back, they're like, wow, our God's awesome. He did it all. As they look back, they see uh, the, the power and might and work of God, that he has done every single thing in their life to get them to that point. Isn't that true for us? We look back to the past and realize that God is the powerhouse behind every victory over sin. That God's the conductor orchestrating every high roller coaster moment of ministry. And as we look back, we realize that He's that same God today. Here's what Tim Keller says. He says, Christians should never look at church history as if it contained some great race of heroes that has vanished irretrievably. Their God is our God. Nor should we look at earlier times of spiritual ministry in our lives and think, oh, we'll never be capable of that again. You weren't capable of it the first time. It was God, and he's still there. It was God, and he's still there. As we look back, we remember what God's done, and remember that he's that same God, yesterday, today, forever. The same God, past, present, future. Same God in the ups and the downs. And so we can have hope and confidence and trust him. And we don't just look back to our lives, we look back throughout history too. Because verse 1 is such a huge verse for us as a church. Have a look at verse 1 again. Huge verse for us as a church. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days long ago. There's people passing down the good news of of God's victories and might and power. See, I reckon that like most families um, have these sort of things that are passed down from generation to generation. Maybe like a family heirloom or like a piece of furniture or family tartan. See, in my family, there's two things that are passed down. Number one is the big fat Greek nose. That's the first thing. Like all of us have it, Demetrios. It's a common trait. And the second thing, right, is uh, grandma's secret fudge recipe. Oh, man. 
this stuff, it's like highly classified, top secret document that gets given from every generation to the next generation. I shouldn't even be telling you this stuff. It, it, it's that classified. Um, and uh, when Lizzie, my wife, um, became a Demetrio, it got handed down to her too. Whoa. Don't pressure her for it, though. Right, stay away. It's, it's top secret stuff. Like we hand it down from every generation to the next generation, right? Uh, uh, but, but we should hand those things down. But, but, but what does the psalmist say is the most important thing to hand on to the next generation? Verse 1, what you did, what, what God has done in our days. See, Christian parents, your primary task is to pass on the goodness of God to your children and young people. To pray for them to teach them about Jesus, to, to, to encourage them to love God and love his church. And man, that's hard work, especially in those uh, uh, rooted in KO years. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but keep on going. Thank you for what you are doing and keep on encouraging and loving. And actually, it's not just parents need to hear this, it's, it's all of us. All of us help to, to, to raise children to love Jesus. So other ways you could be involved in the youth and children's work of the church. Maybe you could help them on serving on one of the teams. That would be awesome. Maybe you could just chat to them after their service and tell them how God has brought you through hard and difficult times. Maybe you could come and join us at the prayer meetings. There's a prayer meeting for children and families once a month on a Monday and prayer meetings for um, students and young people once a month on a Sunday. Come and join us. Come and pray. Because verse 1 tells us uh, of a place where parents are chatting about the wonders of God on a dinner table. It talks of um, where, where older folk are sharing stories of the Spirit's work in their life and where one generation is telling the other generation of the joy of following and serving Jesus. It's beautiful. Because as we've got that bank of stuff to draw on, we remember God's been good in the past. He'll be good to me in the present. See, when life is hard, look back. And all this seems quite positive. In fact, it all seems quite like upbeat, doesn't it? These first eight verses seem quite, quite upbeat and positive. And in fact, this might all go wrong. Um, it's very exciting for me. You can always imagine it being played in like a major key. That's the first eight verses, quite like major and triumphant and like, yes! But then have a look at verse nine. But now... You have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. It's almost as if that, that, that major key that it started in it's, it's like all gone downhill. This massive minor key shift in the song. Because the cry of the rest of the psalm is, life used to be great, but it sucks now. That's the rest of the psalm. Uh, uh, maybe that kind of resonates with you. M- maybe um, you look back and think, oh, life used to be so good and something's changed. Maybe recently, like, uh, bad news about health, about family, about friends, about your job. And every facet of life just seems to hurt and stab at and cause pain. And there seems to be no let up. Maybe that's you. One of the great things Psalm 44 teaches us is this. When life is hard, it's okay to not be okay.
see Psalm 44 reminds us that you're not alone in feeling that key change of life. Uh, God's people throughout history have felt that with you. It's okay to not be okay. Because look how they're feeling. Um, verse 9. You have rejected and humbled us. You're no longer out with our, with our armies. Then verse 10. You may us retreat before the enemy. Our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold us uh, for pittance. The people have suffered a horrific loss on the battlefield. They are battered and bruised and running and scattered and feeling oppressed and attacked from every single angle. It's a low picture, isn't it? And actually, uh, as you go through the, the psalm, you can't help but notice how God's people are feeling like God's enemies of old. Remember, this is how God's enemies were treated back in the day. Do you see those same kind of treatments on God's people in verses 9 to 26? Have a little look. Do you see? God's people are defeated in verse 10. They're retreating again in verse 10. You may retreat before the enemy. Verse 19. Sorry, not verse 19. Um, verse 15. I live in disgrace all day long. My face is covered with shame. Um, they're ashamed. Verse 19. This is actually verse 19. Um, you crushed us. I mean, as a haunt for jackals, they're crushed. Verse 19 again. You covered us with darkness. Verse 25. We are brought down to the dust. Our, our bodies cling to the ground. They're down low, as low as can be, in darkness and rejected. This is a picture of God's people feeling in absolute despair and agony. And at verse 25, they're as low as they can be, heads in the ground. Our bodies cling to the ground. And did you see through the psalm who they blame? Who's, who they're turning to? Verse 9, you, you rejected us. You made us retreat. You devoured us. You sold us. You made us a reproach. You made us a byword. It's God. Um, I used to play rugby at uh, secondary school, and uh, back in the day, we had a secret weapon, right? A special weapon. A man by the name of Nathan Fox, who's now... A triple jumper for Team GB. Ooh. But, 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 but this guy back in the day, he was like six foot two, that's that, that same size, and, and like a man mountain, right? Our one tactic was give the ball to Nathan and let him do his thing. Because Nathan, this guy was un, unreal. He takes the ball, runs through the whole team, try, try, try. We used to win by like 17 nil easily. Nathan scoring all the tries. He was incredible. What a man. One move. Like with him on our side, we were like undefeatable. It was amazing. But then, each year, we'd have an inter-form rugby competition. And Nathan, he wasn't in my form. Oh, man. So, like, he was in the green form. Uh, and they'd run up against us, greens be purples, the other purples, um, and he'd be there. Our greatest weapon turned against us. The man, mountain, the beast uh, against us. No, no chance. Like, the big man's on their side. <laughs> And we got battered every time. Um, but, but, but do you see that same kind of like reaction in the people here? Verse 9, it feels personal to the people. You have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. The defeat that these people are suffering isn't down to the size of the army they're against, but down to the hand of their God, they feel. And aren't there times when we feel that same kind of way where God's against us? See, Psalm 44 tells us it's okay to not be okay. 
Um, um, I love the Psalms because they're, 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 they're gritty and they're real. And they tell us how to emotionally respond in different situations in a good and godly and positive way. And see, Psalm 44 here is crying, openness, desperate before God. That's not a bad thing. In those difficult times, run to God. Run to him and pour out your heart to him. Wrestle with him. Lamenting it is a good thing. And being real with that lamenting too. Tell him how it is. And if you're stuck for words, use the words of Psalm 44. It's okay to not be okay. And if that's true before our God, then it should be true here at church too. I want to say that again. Like, it's okay for us not to be okay here at BH. You don't have to come in here with a painted smile and a mask. You can come in here cracked and broken. It's okay. We all suffer. We all find life hard. So, share. It's okay to not be okay. And the psalm tells us to run to God and pour out our soul before him. Lament. When life is hard, it's okay to not be okay. But run to him. And also, run away from sin. Because the psalmist, um, the, 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 he's there, the, the, the people are mourning and lamenting. And as you do, when life is hard, you start questioning yourself, don't you? You start going, what have I done wrong? Is this my fault? Is this on me because I've done something in the past? And you start questioning and doubting. Well, look at verse 17. Verse 17, all this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We hadn't been false to your covenants. Our hearts had not turned back. The people are like, why is life so hard? We've done nothing wrong. And actually, in that cry, there's a little lesson for us. It's easy for us to use suffering and hard times as an excuse for our sin. But these people here show us holiness in hardship. They show us purity through pain. It's beautiful. Uh, you know how suffering, we, um, well, we let anger become justified. We let lust becomes an escape from reality. Like comfort becomes, um, or greed becomes a little comfort blanket we hide behind. See, the people here are saying we're pure through that pain. We're holy in that hardship. So, so please don't let suffering and hard times be an excuse for you to, to sin. Run from it. When life is hard, run from sin. And so the people are wrestling away. They're asking these questions. And it sort of leads to a massive cry in verse 23. They shout, as we all have probably shouted at some time in our life, Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. And then down verse 26, Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. They're basically saying, God, do you love us? A loving God would come and rescue and help us. Where are you? Haven't we all cried those kind of, when life's hard and dark. And have a look at verse 27. Oh, wait. There is no verse 27. There's no answer. There's no answer to those cries here in Psalm 44. Which is why it's great that we've got the rest of the Bible to help us. Because we're going to turn to page 1134, Romans 8. Do turn there because we're going to be camped out there for the rest of the time. See, Romans 8 is the answer to Psalm 44. Page 1134. Romans chapter 8. Have a little look. It's worth it. 
see Romans 8, it's the second part of, of Psalm 44, basically. Because uh, there's a guy called Paul, and he's wrestling with the same kind of stuff. He's like, I'm suffering, we're struggling, does God love us? And in the midst of all that, he, he quotes Psalm 44, verse 22. And then he gives us the answer. The big answer we've been waiting for. And the basic cry of, uh, of Romans 8 is, um, when life is hard, remember my God loves me. And we're going to read massive chunks of this, so get ready, because it's so good. Romans 8, verse 35, have a little look. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, Psalm 44, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's saying, do all these hard and difficult things mean God stopped loving me? Do, do, do these difficult times stop God's love? Did you see how he answers in verse 37? No! No, they don't. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he lists off all these things that cannot stop God's love, and it's awesome. So I'm convinced neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes! <sighs> Romans 8, when life is hard, remember my God loves me. See, that Romans 8 passage is Paul saying, God has promised to keep on loving no matter what happens through the ups and downs. It's, it's God saying he may not rescue us from the hardship, but he will love us through the hardship. But you may be sitting there thinking, okay, that's great, but, but, but that seems a bit empty. That, that seems like a promise, but with no backup. Where, where, where's, the, where's the guarantee? How can we be sure of this? Um, that's my wedding day. Oh, what a day. Um, the, the woman sitting next to me is my wife, Lizzie, in case you're wondering. Uh, and, and now, this may surprise you, but I'm not the greatest husband of all time. In fact, I'm pretty ropey at uh, the best of times. Um, like, like, I say stupid things. Like, like, I, I, I do um, ridiculous and uh, just silly things over and over again. I hurt Lizzie. Uh, I, I upset her. Um, I'm not gracious and kind and generous like I should be. And there's times when I sit there thinking, why on earth is she with me? <laughs> um, and, and think to myself, like, like, why, like, have I ruined it? Will she keep loving me after that? Like, that that's massive. Will she keep on loving me? And in those times, I always do the same thing. Right? I, I, I look at my left hand. What a lovely hand. There it is. Um, particularly, I look at the ring on my left hand. See, Lizzie gave me that ring. Because on the 25th of July 2015, Lizzie said these words to me. She said, I take you, Stephen, to be my husband, to have and to hold uh, from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and uh, to love and submit till death us do part, or Jesus returns according to God's holy law. And the presence of God will make this vow. And that's a great promise. But then she took this ring and she put it on my finger. And when she did that, she said this, I give you this ring as a sign of our marriage. With my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And see, this ring is a constant reminder that Lizzie's with me no matter what. When I mess up massively, she loves me. 
When I can't see her when she's away somewhere, she loves me. When life is hard, she loves me. And see, God gives us something too, as a guarantee, uh, as a guarantee of that promise. And it's not a ring, it's much better. He gives us uh, his son on a cross. See, when life is hard, remember my God loves me. If that seems too difficult, look at Jesus. Jesus, God's son, our saviour, who died on the cross. And as you read the Bible, one thing you can't help but notice is how horrific the cross was. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, it paints such an awful picture. And actually a picture much like Psalm 44. Jesus was the original sheep to be slaughtered. He he was the one who was ashamed, who was in darkness, trampled to the ground, suffered unimaginable pain and was rejected by his friends. He even cried out, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He suffered all of Psalm 44 so that we could enjoy Romans 8. He endured all of that to guarantee that everyone who trusts in him will be loved forever, full stop. It's kind of like our God said to us, I give you this cross as a sign of my love. With my body I bleed for you. All that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. And he did. See, the cross is that beautiful picture that reminds us we're loved no matter what. No matter what goes on inside us, the sin and filth we do, he loves us. No matter what goes on outside us, the circumstances that attack us and assail us, he loves us. The cross is the guarantee that that, that though he may not rescue us from the pain, he'll love us through the pain. The cross is that guarantee. So if you're trusting Jesus, you can say, when life is hard, you can say, life is hard, but my God loves me. And that will never change. Because of Jesus. When you mess up uh, in a thousand different ways, you can say, he loves me. When you can't see him because of life's too dark and difficult, you can say, he loves me. When, when life is unimaginably hard, you can say, he loves me. Because of the cross. And that's how we're going to end. When life is hard, remember, if you're trusting Jesus, you can say, my God loves me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that that him dying on the cross is a sign and a guarantee that we are loved no matter what. Father, even when it doesn't feel like it, we can look at the cross and remember that my God loves me. And that won't ever change. Help us to remember that when life is hard. Amen.